0: As I mentioned in the children's message, our sermon text for this Sunday, this Quinquagesima Sunday, this last Sunday before Lent, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read verses 1 through 13, and if you're able, please rise for the hearing of God's holy word, which we read in Jesus' name. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Your word is truth, and we pray that you would sanctify us by that truth. Thank you, Lord, for this love chapter. Lord, I pray that you would grant us the gift of of love for our neighbors, that we would love you with our whole hearts and love our neighbors as ourselves. And more than anything, Lord, I pray that we would trust in your love for us, which has been proven and given in the finished work of Christ. God, show us our sin today and point us to that finished work. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. may be seated. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. This chapter of scripture uh, is likely almost as well known outside of the church as John 3.16 is. This is a text that is read at many weddings, even for people who aren't believers or aren't connected to a church in any way. And why is that? Well, it's because it's a beautiful passage, a beautiful passage that explains what true love looks like. It gives us a wonderful picture uh, about what that biblical concept of agape love actually is. I like to describe uh, agape love as holding up something or someone is better or more important than yourself and, and striving for the very best for them. It's a type of love that doesn't look to get anything out of the relationship, but instead it's a selfish or selfless love that just loves the other person where they are. Even though this passage is is very popular, very well known, that doesn't mean that most people have heard it or even people that can quote parts of it actually understand the passage or live lives that reflect its teaching on how to love others. The word love gets thrown a lot, or thrown around a lot in our culture, but generally when people talk about love today, they aren't thinking about the love that's talked about here in First Corinthians 13. When people say love, they're usually thinking more about passion or physical attraction or feelings of comfort, acceptance, and happiness that they get from other people and other things rather than this self-sacrificing agape love that Paul speaks of. So let's look at what Paul has to say here. First, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Now, at this point, we could likely detour the rest of this morning and, and the rest of the sermon and talk about the biblical gift of tongues, what it was, how it was used, and whether or not it still exists, Uh, but we're not going to do that. Instead, it's enough to note that even if you were able to speak in every language on the planet, if every person around could hear you and, and understand you, and also even the angels of heaven, if you could do all of that, but you don't have love, Paul says you're not doing anything other than making an annoying noise. Tongues alone, they mean nothing if they don't have love, they're useless. Then Paul continues, if, if you have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries of knowledge, really, if you can tell the future and are the best theologian that's ever lived, Paul says, even if you have that, and even if you have faith to go along with it that can move mountains, if you don't have love, you're nothing. Theology and prophecy, they're no good without true love. As Paul continues, he says, If I give away everything and even my body to be burned but have not love, I've gained nothing. Even if you lay down your own life but you don't have love, you gain nothing at all. These first few statements from Paul in First Corinthians 13 are a bit shocking, aren't they? if you can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if you can tell the future, if you can understand theology perfectly, if you give up everything, including your own life, if you do all of that, but you don't have love, you both gain nothing and you are nothing. This doesn't really seem possible, does it? We have to keep in mind a a couple of things. When Jesus sums up the law of God, He does it by using the word love, to love God with all that we are, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Jesus also teaches us that he is the true vine and we are the branches. If we abide, if we rest, if we remain in Christ, we will bear much fruit. And what will that fruit be? It will be the fruit of love for God and love for our neighbor. It'll flow out in many different ways. So that means that what Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians 13 is a bunch of actions that are not truly good works because they're not flowing from a true faith in God which works itself out in love. Even as Paul talks about faith in this passage, he can't be talking about a true saving faith because true saving faith is always accompanied by love for God and love for our neighbor. As Paul goes on, he describes both what this true love looks like and does not look like. And let's start off with the negative. He says, love love does not envy. It's not constantly looking around at what other people are and what they have, wishing that it could be theirs. Love does not boast. It doesn't go around talking itself up, trying to make itself look better in front of other people. Love is not arrogant. It doesn't think more highly of itself than it ought to. Love isn't rude. It doesn't always butt in and make a way for itself at the expense of others. Love doesn't insist on its own way, always making its desires the one and only option. And love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It takes absolutely no pleasure at all in sin or in wrongs of any kind that are committed. Then Paul talks about what love looks like. And in many ways, the positive aspects of love are just the mirror of the negatives, that it is not. Paul says love is patient. It's willing to wait for those things that are truly worthwhile. Love is kind and gentle. It deals with others right where they are. Love rejoices in the truth. Rather than rejoicing in sin and wrongdoing, love rejoices in the truth, even if the truth is difficult and hard to receive. Love bears all things. That means it's incredibly patient and quick to forgive. You'd have to be to bear all things. Love believes all things. This doesn't mean that love is a gullible dupe, but instead that love is trusting. That it takes people at their word unless there's a compelling reason not to. Love hopes all things. That means love works forward from faith. We always look for hope. Or we always look for and hope for the very best if we're acting in love. Love endures all things. It means that love is not easy to destroy Love as our culture sees it and talks about it, that's something that can be easily broken. Physical attraction, uh, feelings of happiness and comfort, those things can disappear in mere moments. But true love endures, and love never ends. The word that the ESV, our sermon text that we read this morning, translates at the end of, of this passage is the Greek word "pipto." which is a really easy one to remember. I got that one right on my test, and maybe after I tell Ben how I remembered it, it'll help him out too. Piptoe sounds like tiptoe. And if you tiptoe, you'll probably fall. So piptoe means to fall. It's stupid, but it's stuck. Love never ends. It never fails. It never falls down on the job. Here we have a good picture of of agape love, both what it actually is and what it is not. Love, as it's used by our culture today, could never be the fulfillment of the law of God. But love, as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 13, is the true fulfillment of God's law. But as we've talked about before, just because love makes the demands of the law easy for us to understand, it doesn't make them easy for us to accomplish. Who amongst us can really say we consistently love God and our neighbors, like Paul describes here in 1 Corinthians 13? It's probably a good thing, then, that 1 Corinthians 13 isn't entirely about you and me. Paul here isn't just showing us how far we've fallen short of God's command to love. Instead, Paul is telling us what love looks like, specifically what God's love looks like, for us in Christ. He's talking about the love that God gives to wretched and fallen sinners like you and me. And it's from that perfect love that our imperfect love flows out back to God and to our neighbors. And it's also because of that perfect love for God of God for us in Christ that our imperfect attempts to love him and love our neighbor become fully acceptable and pleasing to God in Christ. As Paul continues, he he moves on in this passage, talking about how we should perceive reality by saying, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up on childish ways. For now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even, even as I have been fully known." It seems like Paul has changed topics here, but he really hasn't. He's still talking about love and about us. He's challenging his, his readers, both the Corinthian church and us as well, to think like grown-ups, to see things clearly, to know the truth and to face the truth. And what is the truth about this agape love? Well, the first truth about agape love is that love is an act of the will and not an emotion. Or as the great 20th century theologians and bards known as D.C. Talk said, love is a verb. It's certainly true that your emotions will be involved at many times, but your emotions are not the point when we talk about love. It's a love of intellect and a love of will. It's a love that sees the one who is loved in all their glory but also in all their shame. It sees them honestly. Such agape love then sees the needs of the one who is loved and plans to meet them. Then love puts this plan into action without regard for circumstances, for personal risk or cost. It loves for the sake of the other with no thought of reward. The love Paul was writing about is not simply just like God's love for us. It's the love which God has for us and which he has poured out upon us. The only way we can have this love for others is if God pours out his love into us so that it runs over us and flows out of us. God loved us. He saw us in our need and our sin and he planned to do the impossible because that's what we needed. You see, God had to punish sin so that he might remain just and holy, but he also desired to save us, to rescue us from the guilt and punishment of our sins. And to accomplish that, he sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to become one of us, to put on the same flesh that we have, to become fully human while remaining fully God. So God sent his only son to be born of a woman to keep the law perfectly And then Jesus died for us, taking the full wrath of God for our sins upon himself and dying the the death that our sins had earned us. He did it all so that he could forgive us and give to all who believe eternal life in him. And this is the love that Paul writes about. Without this love, we're nothing. Without this love, we're dead even though we live. Without this love, flowing through us, we're we're nothing no matter what we do. You see, agape love is is both essential and eternal. We need it from God, and God has given it to us freely. If we are gods, this love must also be a part of us, because God is love. We cannot be anything or do anything that is significant or has any lasting value without this love. A true Christian is filled with this love and lives this love out, not as an emotion, but as a spirit given and spirit worked act of both intellect and will. Now, we will never accomplish this perfectly on this side of glory, but the command of God remains to love Him with all of ourselves and to love our neighbor as ourselves. In fact, Jesus Himself says in John 13, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In order for us to be loving to our neighbor and God, we need to be receiving God's love ourselves. And this makes word and sacrament essential to our lives as believers, because it's in word and sacrament that God has promised to meet us. He has promised to offer to us through them all that Christ accomplished with his perfect life, lived in our place, and his sacrificial death and his resurrection. These things are God's ultimate loving act for fallen and broken sinners like us. So hold tightly to the word of God and hear from it as often as possible because it is the account of God's great love for you and the account of everything he did to save you. Remember the gifts that you were given in the waters of your holy baptism and cherish the Lord's Supper where you are given the body and blood of your crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, which has been given and shed for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And go from here knowing that you are loved by God and redeemed by Christ. Go loving your neighbor just as God loves them. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where we hear not only about your command to love but about your great love for us. Help us to always remember your great love for us and to share that love with those that we encounter. Allow us to have many opportunities, Lord, to show your great love to others who need to hear about it so they too might be saved and might share in your love and the promise of eternal life. Lord, as we now get ready to go to your table, I pray that you would allow us to see our sins clearly and confess them before you and the trust that you are willing and ready to forgive. Help us to trust in what we receive at the table, the body and blood of Christ, given and shed for the forgiveness of our sins. By your word and by your supper, strengthen us for your service, we pray. Amen.